Good afternoon, everyone on the East Coast. Good morning on the West Coast. And good evening if you happen to be in Europe or in Asia. Welcome to our December 2018 Tosca 30-30. Uh, we have a good turnout. We appreciate your uh, participating, uh, particularly since there's only 12 more shopping days to Christmas. Any event, excellent. I'm Herb Stryker, and I've spoken on a lot of these. Next slide. And I'm joined today by our associate, one of our associates, John Gustafson, who's spoken on one of these, Tosca 3030. So we're looking forward to see how he does. Next slide. What's today's topic? Well, we want to talk about the first draft risk evaluation that EPA's issued under the new Tosca. You know, as you know, EPA's doing an assessment of 10 substances. Uh, as the first uh, 10 chemicals to be assessed under the new Tosca. It is then supposed to have a rolling list of 20 chemicals at a time. So there's a great interest in this particular risk evaluation because it gives some indication as to how EPA, or may give some indication as to how EPA will go about the business of doing risk evaluations. We're going to talk about systematic review, which is part of the process that EPA uses to assess data quality we're going to talk about the reaction from non-governmental organizations uh, to this, what's been going on. And then we'll talk about the risk evaluation peer review process, uh, which EPA will open with respect to this uh, draft risk evaluation, and then provide some final thoughts. Next slide. Now, this is the structure of CI Pigment Violent 29. It's quite a mouthful. Next slide. Here's the docket where EPA posted uh, all kinds of documents about this particular pigment and the risk evaluation. Uh, as is usual, there's a public comment period for 60 days, which was now open until January 14, 2019. Next slide. So what is pigment violent uh, tw uh, 29? Well, you can guess it's a pigment. It's a colorant. Uh, it is also used as an intermediate to make other pigments. About 90% of the volume is as a site-limited intermediate. What does that mean? That means it is used to, to, as a raw material to make something else, and it's used at the site where it's used as a raw material to make something else. So it's site-limited. Uh, the remaining 10% uh, is used in commercial paints or coatings or commercial plastic and rubber products, and a small amount, which is estimated to be less than 1% of total sales, appears to be used in consumer watercolor and acrylic paints. Now, interestingly enough, uh, the lion's share of the uses of this pigment is as an intermediate. Uh, there's only one manufacturer. It's rather puzzling to me, quite frankly, as to why uh, this chemical showed up on the work plan in the first instance, which was supposed to be high-risk, high-volume substances. Uh, you know, EPA did a, a, a review of the Tosca inventory and picked about 100 or so substances for its work plan in 2012-2014. It's rather puzzling to me that this chemical showed up on the work plan list. It's even more puzzling to me that this chemical, of all the chemicals that could have been selected for the first 10 evaluation that EPA is doing on the new Tosca, that this chemical is one of the 10 that was picked. Next slide. So what did EPA do? Well, they did a hazard assessment. That's what you do in a risk evaluation. One of the things you do is you assess the hazard. What did EPA conclude? Well, they said that reasonably evaluable data indicates no ecotoxicity up to the limit of solubility of the chemical. 
They said there was no adverse effects for human health for all routes of exposure, oral dermal inhalation. They said it was negative for genotoxicity, uh, genotoxicity and they said that structure activity relationships indicate that it's unlikely to be a carcinogen. And the overall conclusion of the risk evaluation was based on human health and environmental toxicity testing. The EPA concludes that CI pigment violet 29 presents a low hazard to human health and the environment. Again, rather puzzling is that this chemical showed up on the 2012 work plan. It survived the amended work plan in 2014. Interestingly enough, in the work plan, it received a high score for aquatic toxicity, uh, and that actually raises some question as perhaps the validity of the models that EPA used in constructing the work plan in the first instance. But in any event, this is the conclusion of EPA's risk evaluation for pigment violent 29. Next slide. Uh, a, risk, a risk assessment has two parts, as you know. It has a hazard assessment and it has an exposure assessment. So let's see what EPA did with respect to exposure assessment. Well, for environmental exposure, consumer exposure, and general population exposure, EPA conducted a qualitative assessment. What does that mean? Well, that means that EPA basically looked at the issue in a sort of general way and concluded uh, that there was no particular concern. So it's a qualitative assessment. Uh, they did a quantitative assessment uh, for occupational exposure, and we'll talk about that in a little bit of detail. But for environmental, consumer, and general po population exposures, they did qualitative assessment. So they looked at uh, the physical chemical properties of the chemical, which indicated low solubility, low vapor pressure, low bioaccumulation potential, poor absorption against, across all routes of exposure. And they also looked at manufacturing information, uh, which indicated environmental releases from the conditions of use were limited. Uh, now, based on all that, EPA concluded that there was no, there was very low exposure for the environment, to consumers, to general population. They also conducted a quantitative screening level assessment of occupational exposure using high-end estimates of inhalation and thermal exposure, and we'll go through the math shortly. Um, and they concluded, based on everything, uh, that exposures are expected to be limited for the conditions of use. Now, this is a situation where I think EPA actually did pin down all the conditions of use. I haven't actually seen any allegations by anyone that EPA may have missed some uses. That's certainly not in this uh, file. There's no allegation that there's legacy uses that EPA missed, so there are no allegations that uh, EPA missed any uses. Uh, so we have low hazard, low exposure. Uh, it doesn't take a lot of computer work to, to decide that the overall risk is low. Next, uh, next slide. So what do I do about in terms of occupational exposure? Well, they did a high-end uh, exposure since there's only one manufacturer. Uh, and 90% of the use is at that manufacturing site. Uh, they assumed uh, that the manufacturing site, those workers, would be the most highly exposed population, which I think is a reasonable assumption, quite frankly. So they looked at um, air monitoring data from that one manufacturing site. So they had air monitoring data, which is very good. And I will remind people that when they get to your chemical, uh, air monitoring data is probably not a bad thing to send to them. Because I will predict that even though this particular chemical was an easy case for EPA to conclude that there was no risk, some of the other chemicals that are looking at it may not be that easy a case. So 
So air monitoring data is certainly a good thing. Uh, they converted that to an elation potential dose rate, and there's an equation in red as to how they did that, uh, and there's some indication below as to how they did the math. I'm not going to go through that on this webinar. These slides, as always, will be posted on our website, um, and you can always easily search by that for, say, TASCA 3030 in Google, and I'll pop that web page on our website. So for, for <clears throat> in dermal exposure, uh, they did what's called a screening level assessment, uh, and they assumed the theoretical maximum exposure, and they assumed that there was, there was the use of the, the materials handled without any gloves. So if you assume no handling with gloves, which certainly would not actually happen in practice, then you get a worst-case dermal exposure, and so this quite reasonable for a screening level assessment. Next slide. Now, the interesting thing about this file is that EPA relied a great deal on studies that had been submitted uh, to the European Chemical Agency on the REACH. Uh, a couple of interesting things about that. First of all, uh, the REACH registrant is not the U.S. manufacturer or US, uh, the U.S. company handles this. Uh, and so it's interesting that uh, that EPA received that information. Um, I think what's very interesting is the EPA actually required uh, access to the full study reports. There's been a lot of discussion about whether EPA will use robust study summaries that are on the ECHO website. Uh, and the answer is uh, they'll look at those study summaries, but only to decide what studies they need the full study reports. And so they have full study reports here were obtained by EPA. They were reviewed. Uh, they underwent a systematic review, and we'll discuss that in a moment. And EPA concluded that the studies were of high or medium quality. Now, interesting thing, which I noted, is the REACH dossier, which presumably contains all the studies the EPA relied on, is actually undergoing a compliance check by the European Chemical Agency. It's actually a comprehensive compliance check. It's ongoing now. Uh, and so it's really rather interesting is, A, why did ECHA, European Chemical Agency, pick this chemical for a compliance check? Did it have anything to do with the fact the EPA was assessing it? I don't know. Uh, but secondly, uh, what will the outcome of that compliance check be, and will that have any impact on this risk evaluation, or the validity of risk evaluation? All interesting questions. Next, next slide. EPA also looked at uh, international uh, regulation. Um, and I thought it was rather interesting. It very uh, seemed to be influenced to some degree by the Canadian assessment. It's quoted several times. EPA says that Canadian ecological risk classification for the pigment uh, indicated uh, potential low hazard. That's cited several times throughout the report. EPA also looked at the status of other countries, including Australia, China, EU, Korea, Taiwan, and Philippines, and this chemical was not a priority for assessment in any of those countries. Next slide. Uh, I mentioned systematic review. Uh, the 24 studies that uh, EPA obtained, which were also studies that were used to prepare the robust study summaries for the REACH dossier, EPA uh, undertook a structured process of evaluating uh, the quality of those data. Next slide. This slide you can't read. Uh, it will be on the, uh, I don't think you can, it will be on the 
in the web in the slide deck that we post on our website, but it tells you it's basically a scoring. So EPA has a variety of factors that it uses. You know, what's a test substance? Was it properly identified? Et cetera, et cetera, and then scores them for quality. And that's what EPA means by systematic review of study reports. And so it's useful for you to think about that, particularly if you're doing a manufacturer-nominated risk evaluation and you're thinking about studies to submit to EPA. It might be, you might be useful to try to make the case that the studies are high quality by doing this kind of ranking. Uh, if, on the other hand, you're trying to challenge uh, an adverse conclusion by EPA with respect to your chemical, you might want to use this type of scoring to demonstrate to EPA that the studies that they've relied on to uh, make uh, adverse determinations about your chemical are not of sufficient quality to be accepted. Um, next slide. What's the NGO reaction to all this? Uh, well, not, uh, comments have not yet been posted with respect to the draft risk evaluation. However, uh, the preliminary assessment uh, EPA published in their problem formulation document, uh, which is not, which has same conclusions that are in this risk evaluation, and we did get a fair amount of uh, reaction from NGOs. So uh, one is there seems to be a consensus among MGOs that EPA should require new toxicity tests for the chemical, um, and they argue there's insufficient information to conduct an assessment of adequate quality. Uh, they argue that EPA cannot reach scientifically defensible conclusions, at least with respect to chronic endpoints, such as carcinogenicity, reproductive developmental toxicity, developmental neurotoxicity, et cetera, et cetera, and they said EPA does not have empirical data on carcinogenicity, nor on developmental neurotoxicity, endocrine activity, et cetera, et cetera, to do a proper assessment. In sum, they say they argue that the evidence base for PV or uh, pigment violet 29 is completely inadequate. Uh, I'm not, I'm, I, quite frankly, I don't understand why you actually have to have long-term studies on every endpoint in order to do a risk evaluation. I mean, there certainly is a sub-acute study here uh, in the file. There's no indication anywhere in the database that this chemical is problematic. Uh, it seems to me that some are arguing uh, that this should be a REACH-type regime, you know, with uh, full data sets on chemicals, uh, submitted uh, in order for EPA to do a risk evaluation, and I don't think there's a justification for that. It's certainly inconsistent with the statute. I would say, though, that picking uh, this chemical, given this data set, given the lack of any uh, indication of hazard, given the lack of any indication of significant exposure, uh, is probably more problematic and the question as to whether the the data set is complete in a reach type sense. Next slide. Okay. I'm now going to turn this over to my colleague uh, uh, John Gustafson, who's going to talk about the risk evaluation peer review process, which EPA is going to initiate with respect to this chemical. Okay. So the draft risk evaluation for Violet 29 will be peer-reviewed by the Science Advisory Committee on Chemicals, or SACC, in a four-day public meeting uh, beginning January 29th and ending February 1st of next year. This is a public stakeholder meeting, so anyone can attend. 
the SACC reviewers are going to respond to public questions submitted ahead of time in addition to EPA's charging questions. So what, what is the basis for this peer review? Uh, new TSCA does not impose any specific peer review requirement for existing chemical risk evaluations. New TSCA comprehensively amended Section 6, under which this evaluation is occurring or being conducted. Uh, it also amended Section 26, which sets scientific standards for EPA actions under Sections 4, 5, and 6, and yet there's nothing about peer review. Uh, one part of Section 26, H5, requires EPA to consider the extent to which information used has been peer-reviewed, but that's a consideration inside of the evaluation. It's not a peer review of the entire uh, evaluation. And EPA has uh, has satisfied that or, or attempted to satisfy that so far uh, in the data evaluation scoring sheet uh, that went along with this risk evaluation draft, which is available in the docket. So EPA, uh, even though it's not required by the statute, EPA said, okay, we're going to go ahead and require it of ourselves anyway. Uh, so they promulgated peer review regulation in the risk evaluation rule, which came out last July. Uh, that regulation states that EPA will conduct peer review using the EPA peer review handbook and an OMB bulletin on uh, peer review by agency, executive agencies. Uh, so the risk evaluation rule created this new peer review requirement, but it doesn't say who will conduct this peer review. It says that uh, that EPA may use the SACC. Uh, another interesting note about the risk evaluation rule preamble is that it says that in for all risk evaluations, EPA will not seek peer review on the ultimate unreasonable risk determination. That's an agency determination uh, that must be made according to the statutory requirements. It's based on this scientific analysis, uh, but it's not a part of the analysis itself. So uh, let's talk about this Science Advisory Committee on Chemicals, SACC. Uh, this is a, a an entity that is was required by New Tosca uh, to be established within one year of the passage of New Tosca by Section 26. Uh, there are two provisions that ensure balance and the absence of bias in the SACC, uh, and those are here. It must give independent advice and must have a balanced composition. And then another requirement is that EPA must convene SACC at least once every two years. So EPA has to figure out when to use SACC. Certainly this is an appropriate time because risk evaluation is a very technical uh, foray, and uh, and it should EPA use the SACC for peer review of every risk evaluation, 
then it will meet the requirement to convene SACC at least once every two years. So this is a quick look at the composition of the SACC. It started as 14 members. It's now 26. Uh, recently, EPA also requested ad hoc participant nominations in the event that additional expertise is required. Uh, so we've got a we've got a pretty good balance here between different interest groups. Uh, next slide, please. Uh, okay, so so what's going to happen at this meeting? Uh, again, it'll be a review of the contents of the risk draft risk evaluation and not of EPA's final unreasonable risk determination itself. Uh, the standards of review for this this peer review are consistent, should be, must be consistent with the statutory requirements in Section 26, and that's that EPA use the best available science and uh, according to a weight of the evidence approach. And you can see that this weight of the evidence approach has been used uh, by looking at the data evaluation scoring sheet. Part of that requirement is that uh, EPA assess the credibility of each piece of information that it's using, and that's what happens in that uh, document, and all that's available in the docket. Uh, also, the charging questions are available in the docket, and that's what the SAC, SACC and the public have received uh, from EPA. That's just kind of the agenda for the public meeting and what the SACC will discuss. Uh, but they're, they're very straightforward questions. They just go through each topic in the risk evaluation. Next slide, please. So EPA is going to hold a virtual preparatory meeting uh, ahead of the public meeting on January 8th. So this is everyone will be sitting at their computers. Um, and this meeting is just going over the scope and clarity, uh, a scope of the public meeting and, and clarifying the process and uh, any other questions people might have. Uh, the November 30th Federal Registry entry about the public meeting has a slew of dates and, and deadlines. Uh, you're, you're welcome to sort through that, but I have them right here. Um, so you can request to make oral comments and then uh, actually submit your comments for review uh, prior to the full public meeting. Thank you, John. So, I mean, at the end, at the end of listening to all this, I still uh, ask myself the question, why Violet Pigment 29? The entire risk evaluation, including references and tables, is only 43 pages. The docket is uh, fairly thin. Uh, it may get uh, beefed up uh, by the uh, peer review committee. It's interesting. I was kind of curious as to what the peer review committee will be reviewing because um, I'm not sure there's really that much in this thing to review. Now, this would have been a good opportunity, it seems to me, for EPA to showcase the predictive power of uh, various uh, uh, not alternative to animal testing techniques to make predictions. Uh, there's some discussion about uh, prediction on carcinogenicity, et cetera, et cetera, but it seems to me that this would have been a good showcase for EPA to show that in the absence of long-term studies, 
which appear to be missing from this file, uh, you can actually make uh, you know very valid, scientifically valid predictions, you know, based on uh, the models. And I think that would have been helpful. Uh, you, are there models in there? There are, and EPA oh. has been upgrading those models. And they're uh, in this file, in the docket here? Not in this docket, okay. but, but pursuant to 4-H, right? right? right We've right. seen yeah. improvement so, in this. Yeah, yeah, so absolutely. So EPA has a lot of models they've been working on. They are uh, required under uh, under Section 4 of the new TOSCA to consider alternatives to animal testing um, and to use those where appropriate. And it seems to me that this file, you know, would have been a good example uh, and to be able to showcase, uh, you know, the predictive power and, you know, the utility of those sorts of models and predictive techniques. Um, so what – so why do this? Well, I mean, EPA acting administrator uh, Wheeler has said that the publication of this first risk assessment shows the agency is delivering on its promise to meet the statutory deadlines and ensure the safety of chemicals currently on the market under the amended TOSCA. Well, they certainly issued a draft risk assessment. As far as I could tell, the assessment was you know, reasonable in terms of you know the information that was available. I don't think there's any serious conclusion, uh, serious basis for concluding that this chemical poses a risk much less than a reasonable risk. Uh, but again, I mean, it seems to me that if one was going to demonstrate that the agency is delivering on its promise to meet the statutory deadlines and ensure the safety of chemicals currently on the market, that there should have been more in this assessment. And I would suggest uh, that the use of the uh, demonstration, the use of the predictive power of alternatives to animal testing should have been employed in this particular case. I think the uh, peer review uh, will be interesting. So, <clears throat> and next slide. So that was our task of 3030. We have an OSHA 3030 uh, scheduled for December 19th, which is only uh, five shopping days before Christmas. We hope you can make it. Uh, there is a next task of 3030. will be January 9th at 1 o'clock. Uh, what the topic's going to be, no clue. Uh, we sometimes have a fifth or thirty thirty, although I think those are rare and far few in between. And if we don't have one soon, I'm dropping that logo from the uh, slide deck. Uh, next slide. Uh, our next task of thirty thirty is January ninth. In at one thirty five, we will have our second uh, reach thirty thirty for those of you who are staying on. Next slide. I'm Herb Stryker, and that's John Gustafson. Take care, everyone. Thank See you. See you next time.